Hello and welcome to The Food Podcast, a show where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Welcome to season four. Here we are at the beginning of eight episodes. So I thought we'd kick things off with thoughts on beginnings and endings. And I'll check in at the end of the season so we can look back at where we began and where we ended and what we've learned in between. So here we are in the before phase. Before and afters are everywhere in life. They're in the kitchen, in the laundry pile, in the garden, they're in the body. My mom once told me that taking care of a home means surrendering to entropy. Entropy is the degradation of the matter and energy in the universe to an ultimate state of inert uniformity. I think she meant it's the way a made bed will eventually become unmade, and a clean kitchen will get dirty, and clean clothes will need cleaning, and a yellow lab will attempt to eat a tidy bag of Halloween candy ripping at the packaging until little candy rockets shoot across the kitchen and land between the cracks in your floor. If we're going to make it through this life, we may as well embrace it. Make the bed, mess up the bed, clean the kitchen, brown the beef for the stew until you have to wipe down the whole effing stove, hide the candy, clean up dog puke. It's a rhythm. Yes, it's a rhythm, the before and after, but the music, the stories, the struggle, the growth, those things happen in the middle. I once interviewed a banjo player called Old Man Ludica. He has a song from an early album called Joy of Cookin'. In the song, we learn that Old Man Ludica is looking for answers to life's most perplexing questions, and he finds them on the shelf near the Bible in a book called The Joy of Cookin'. The answer he discovered was bacon. That's the kind of guy he is, funny and philosophical. At one point in the interview, we must have veered towards self-improvement because old man Ludica said, you know, I love the sweetness of my future self. It's an optimistic, hopeful way of thinking, loving the sweetness of your future self. I've quoted this line many times because I too love the sweetness of my future self. The self that is fast forward through the entropic state. She has clicked her fingers, called upon Cinderella's mice and birds to help her clean the room. She's the self that magically has all the omega she needs and the vitamin D and the minimal caffeine. And she is well read and she is well rested. And she can taste that sweetness. But who is that future self, really? That person has been on a journey, and we can't skip over that, because it's that middle part. That's where the tension lives, the frisson, the excitement. And usually, that's where the good stories reside, too, the true sweetness. For example, we can't just lick the icing off the top of the cake to taste that pure sweetness. We need to make that cake, live the cake, know the cake. I'm thinking about season three, episode four, when wedding cake maker Jillian Bell is on the wrong side of New Zealand in a snowstorm without any power 
And the wedding, which she is making the cake for, is happening later that day, hours away. So she gets in her car in the wind and the snow, under a blackened sky, with a plan to drive south, then eventually turn right towards the wedding venue on the other side of the island. And she will stop and make the cake somehow along the way. So I knew that the first hamlet that I'm going to come to is a place called Fairley. Well, the population of Fairley is 300 people. So I just thought, well, I'm going to head to Fairley. I'm going to go to wherever in Fairley I think that most women will go to in the morning. And then I just started to ask people. I said, I'm from Australia. I've got this wedding cake to make. There's been a power cut. Do you know anyone who's got a mix who could lend me this and so on? Oh, yes, I think I, Betty, Betty out on such and such farm owns that. Well, I'm wondering, would you mind giving her a call and asking whether she, you know, would it be all right if I borrowed it? And people just, Lindsay, I don't know why, people just help me. They help me. I just ask. As I went along the way, then I stopped at somebody's house and asked if they could use their oven. I cooked the cake in their oven, in their kitchen. People I've never met before in my life. And then they're like giving me lunch while the cake's in the oven, you know. So we're sitting down having cups of tea, chatting. Like a community-minded chicken little, she moves along collecting ingredients, borrowing an oven, foraging for flowers, until she has a wedding cake. Some might say the middle of a cake is boring. Layers of sponge, vanilla, flour, eggs, sugar a pale color palette. It's the unseen. It's the center. It's the foundation. But it's also where the effort is and the skill and the farming and the hard work and the bounce. Jillian says there's nothing better than a pillowy sponge, as pillowy as a cloud, as a mattress, the kind of cake you can bounce up and down on, layers of sponge, that tastes like adventure. Adventure requires living in the present moment, right here in the middle. This reminds me of Kumi Sawyers, my online yoga teacher who I met for the first time in person over the summer when she hosted a yoga retreat. There we were, standing in a barn on our mats, eyes closed, rain falling softly on the roof above. She asked us if we were balanced on our feet or were we leaning on our heels back in the past or tipping on our toes into the future? Or could we find ourselves right here in the present, standing in the middle? I tip myself back and forth from the future to the past, then back to the future again until I finally landed in the middle. It was the first time I had ever done anything like this, a week away to move and restore, to connect with people doing the same thing. My sister and best friend said it sounded like a nightmare, trapped in a yoga pose for a week. But I could already taste the sweetness of my future self, the calm, bendy, balanced person, the person who isn't nervous to meet new people and to travel alone and to enter a group of creatives who aren't afraid to bend the limits. 
I throw myself into uncomfortable situations like this often, and I'm not sure why. This podcast can feel uncomfortable. For years, I felt it was an imposition to ask someone for their time to chat with me. Sometimes I would get so nervous that all my journalism skills, like asking open-ended questions, would melt away in my sweaty palms. It's brutal listening back to the audio from those nervous days when I didn't pick up the breadcrumbs being dropped by the guest because I was sweating. Nervousness is still there, but over the years, I've let my curiosity for knowing and learning and trying new experiences overpower that nervousness. It's a push and a pull situation, and the pull usually wins. Because here I am, still podcasting, and there I was, attending a yoga retreat for the first time, with a body that took a lot of flapping of butterfly wings to get to a bendy state in the weeks leading up to the retreat. Yes, I began almost every yoga class of my life lying on my back, on the mat, my knees bent and my feet together in a butterfly pose. And I think to myself, I am so stiff, my hips might crack, there's nothing that will soften this situation. And then the wings begin to flap and I slowly move and I breathe. And by the end, I lay down where I began and I bend my knees and I put my feet together and I feel so soft and agile and grateful for taking the stock of the before because it sweetens the after. Science writer and professor Adam Grant told Dan Harris on the 10% Happier podcast that in order to become a critical thinker, it's important to seek out discomfort. This also means putting yourself in situations where you are likely to fail, where you will be judged negatively, where you might even embarrass yourself. Because if we get into a rhythm and a comfort zone, we stop stretching ourselves. Literally. I think it goes beyond critical thinking. Diving into new things is good for us, and sometimes it tastes good too. I'm going to drop you into the first night of the yoga retreat on the south shore of Nova Scotia, where we're sitting around a long wooden table in an old schoolhouse where we shared our meals. There are huge bowls of mussels placed down the center of the table so no one has to reach very far. Beside each bowl are plates filled with hunks of warm rye bread, big, generous hunks. Candles drip and rain soaks the windows outside as we get to know each other. I sit next to a woman from Maine. We talk about family and the struggles of leaving people behind. Really, it wasn't a struggle for me. My kids are older now. They can all make a sandwich for themselves, and really, what else do they need to survive? They wouldn't miss me, but it is easier to stay at home, to stay put, to stay with the familiar. My new friend has more at stake. She is a caregiver. It was complicated to leave, and she is an introvert. She says that gathering like this is hard for her, but she knows she needs this nourishment. I like her voice and her gentleness. She passes me more bread. We eat the mussels and dip bread into the buttery broth. There are baby potatoes and green grapes hiding in the broth below the black shells. 
The grapes surprise me. A pop of juicy sweetness in this savory dish. Our afternoons are free during the retreat. Some walk the beach or swim in the ocean or go hiking or read in their beds. One afternoon, a few of us brought art supplies into the schoolhouse and we painted. We were a jewelry designer, a lighting designer, an epidemiologist, and me, a writer. Our styles were so different. There were blocks of wild colors and controlled images of dark ink across the page. I painted what was around us, wild pink roses from the bushes outside and the fat blossoms that had turned into rose hips. Wild roses like the salt and the wind. They thrive here in Nova Scotia, from here on the south shore to the tips of Cape Breton, to the land along the Northumberland Strait. I know the floppiness of the blossoms, the way the light catches in the folds of the petals, and I know the spiky bottoms of the rose hips with little tentacles that curl as they dry. The rose hips are a specific orangey red. I mix warm red and warm orange and get something closer to the color. And now I'm thinking about the wild roses that become rose hips at the far end of our cottage community on the Northumberland Strait where there used to be a clay tennis court tended to by one of the cottage owners, Dr. Rasmussen. Every summer, he brought the court back to life after the long, wild Nova Scotian winter. He began by weeding the court fastidiously in his signature blue cotton shorts and golf shirt. Then he'd attach an old metal bed frame to the back of a ride-on lawnmower and grade the court by dragging the bed frame up and down the clay surface, flattening and kicking up dust as he puttered along. A big barrel roller came along next to smooth the surface, followed by fresh, new white lines. He'd fill a little machine that looked something like a metal granny cart with lime, and walk the boundaries of the court, leaving a perfect white line in his trail. By now, his shirt was off and his bare shoulders were brown. I know these steps because my cousin and I used to watch Dr. Rasmussen work from the front steps of our cottage as we spun around the metal handrail. When he wasn't working on the court, he would snorkel in the ocean, spying on crabs and rockweed and other seaweeds swirling with the tide. I remember thinking it was a much-deserved break from what looked like a huge job. I wonder if Dr. Rasmussen tasted the sweetness of his future self, playing tennis on a smooth court trimmed in white lines. Or did he like the ritual of the tennis court maintenance? It transitioned him into his holiday mode, one white line at a time. By mid-July, the court was in action. We'd sit on the steps, licking popsicles and watching the parents and grandparents, wooden rackets in hand, whacking the ball back and forth. Every so often, a tennis ball would fly beyond the court. Eventually, a fishing net was erected at the far end to catch rogue balls from soaring into the hayfields. But if they went east into the wild rose bushes, they were lost forever. You can use rose hips to make jelly. Just let the orangey orbs bob away on the stove with lemon and pectin and sugar until they soften. 
Then strain off the seeds and spiky bottoms until what's left is a pale red liquid. Stories happen in the middle when you're painting with new friends and you're not paying attention. There was a poem spoken in my home growing up called The Second Show, written by the poet Alden Nolan. He wrote it in the 1970s after going to see a movie with my parents. They were friends. Being part of the inspiration of a poem lived large in our home, but the message did too, at least for me. Alden Nolan was born into poverty in 1933, the worst year of the Depression, when his father worked in the woods for $30 a month. He left school in grade five and was 19 years old when he first used a telephone. The poem is called The Second Show. The Second Show. A river of faces rushing out of a movie theater as we go in. The faces of initiates. Their color higher, higher than ours. They look better fed and have permission to smoke. A hundred of us, know-nothings, shuffle towards the ticket-takers, while our betters on the other side of the long rope laugh and play with their car keys. They've seen and heard things we've not. They've known the punchlines. They've been given the passwords. I don't know how Alden Nolan knew my middle-class parents or how I ended up bouncing on his knee in a photo taken in the early 70s. He died nine years later. I thought about this poem while lying on my yoga mat halfway through the yoga retreat. I was in bridge pose, thinking, dreaming, dreading the push-up into a wheel, the way I did in gym class in elementary school. Two feet on the floor, palms down beside your neck, head back, belly button to the sky, and then a big push, and we were half-moons laughing and looking at each other upside down. Sometimes a girl with long hair would trap her braid by accident under her hand. My Princess Diana cut was free and easy and feathered beautifully, especially upside down. But at that moment in the barn, I wanted the password to the retreat. I wanted to fast forward to the end to a time when my color would be higher and I would be better fed when I could push into a wheel, and when, if I smoked, I could. There's a thrill to that knowledge, a thrill that feels safe. But where's the story when you rush the middle? You need to watch the movie, to taste the food, to make new friends, to balance in the middle and feel the discomfort, and to be embarrassed and maybe fail. You need to deserve the rewards of the ending. And the ending, as it turns out, wasn't at the end of the week. Kumi helped me into a wheel that day by pulling my back up with a band. It was a few months later, okay, it was yesterday, that I pushed up, up, up into a wheel at the end of her Zoom class, my hair free below me, not trapped. I could see my basement upside down and the pile of laundry upside down and my dog 
upside down. And at that moment, I wanted to be in the lineup at the movie theater waiting to go in because I wanted to be at the beginning, open and ready to do it all again. So, dear listener, let's launch into this season together. Let's tip back and forth until we land in the middle of our feet and be ready for right now. This series is edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme song, One More Night, is by Jen Grant. If you'd like to support the show, please rate and review the food podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And consider signing up for my newsletter. It's called Food Stories, and the link is in the show notes, or you can head to lindsaycameronwilson.substack.com. Thanks for listening to this opening episode of Season 4 of The Food Podcast. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. I'll be back next time with an episode all about the hunger for bluefin tuna and what one woman has to say about the role it's played in her life. <laughs>